All right. I want to read verses 5 and 6, and we'll get into uh, this portion here. It says here, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Here we're seeing in this section, verses 5 through 11. It's verses 5 through 11, seeing this section, commandments for walking in truth. Obviously here, the first uh, commandment here is to walk in this commandment, that is, love one another. And then you go further on in verse 8, you see another commandment in this section, look to yourselves. Okay, so a couple commandments here uh, that are given that are important for uh, that time period and even this time period now as we are still living in this time, in this age or dis this dispensation before uh, Christ comes back. And so we see here, now I beseech thee. And we talked about this last time, but this is um, asking or beseeching or begging, uh, which is uh, different than um, iteo, which comes with a sense of authority. Here, the apostle is coming in a sense of love, in a sense of endearment and caring love for this family, wanting to see the best for them in the outcome of their lives. So you could say that this is a personal request from the apostle to this lady and her children. He's not coming down with uh, ex-cathedra, not coming down with a pope kind of authority. He's just talking to them as a spiritual leader with compassion, with a personal request. And so and he, he, he sees this as this is the manner he ought to be because he doesn't see this lady and her children as being resistant to his authority, but rather compliant to his authority, and so respectful of it. And so this is something, this is how he comes across with it. He doesn't have to uh, come with uh, harshness or um, some abruptness on his request here. He comes with some compassion and just as a request here. And he knows that um, they will respect what he says, and they will do what he says. And so that's something also commendable about this family here spoken of in the text. And so um, some compassion and concern here. And you can see concern here, where he says beseech. There's concern. Concern, compassion, and it's great when people have concern. I mean genuine concern, concern for the spiritual well-being. And we could say that uh, the apostle here is being a living example of what he's telling them to do. He is requesting them, begging them, beseeching them to love one another, that we should love one another. Here he is, you could say he's the apostle of love. How many times do you see John the Apostle talk about love all through the gospel, all through his epistles? You could say he's the apostle of love. Here, he's a living example of what that looks like. And he's a living example of the entire context, as we'll see as we go further on. 
So he says here, um, this is the commandment, or sorry, verse 5, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee. Okay? So he's uh, emphasizing here the negation of the fact that this is not a new commandment, that this is something of old now. This is a, you could say, an old commandment. So it's just more of like a reminder or a restatement of what has been said so many times already. And so he emphasized the fact that this was a commandment also necessary to follow, something for their own spiritual good and for the sake of the truth, because that's really the context here, is sticking to the truth, walking in the truth. And so this is a needful component to see that happen. Notice also the verb of wrote here, and it's present tense, meaning that this was not a new commandment he was coming up with in the moment as he wrote the letter. No, this is something that has been ongoing for a long time. It has been said many times already in the times that he was with Jesus. This was said many times. So this is nothing new. And uh, we mentioned this, how spiritual leaders sometimes repeat things, and they uh, will sound like a broken record. Like, why do they keep saying that? I mean, he said that already 56 times. <laughs> well, sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need a refresher. You know, sometimes we need to go back to a passage and rehash what it says and review and talk about it. And so this is something needful, and um, it's something you see the Apostle John repeat over and over and over in all his epistles and even in the gospel that he wrote. This same commandment he repeats. And so this was a commandment which they had from the beginning. Again, we note the strong contrast here uh, with the conjunction uh, Allah. Uh, it says here, but that which we have had heard from the beginning. This is to signify the difference between something new and something uh, old in the past. And here is the word kainos for new, which is more of the, signific the signification of quality. So it can be understood as something that's recent, unworn, fresh, a new kind, uncommon, or unheard of. And so he uses that word to describe this commandment. Now, this is some sense of, there's some sense of time here, because you do see here where it says, uh, from the beginning. So there is a time element to this, even though it's more of an emphasis upon quality. The quality of the commandment is um, here, there's some element of time. And so the apostle's idea was that this commandment was supposed to be a staple among Christians, a basic part of the Christian life. It's supposed to be a quality of the Christian life, that this is just how the Christian life is, how it ought to show itself, the fruit that should come out, some basic and foundation, something that's basic and foundational to the rest of the Christian life. In our context, it was a commandment that was extremely needful in the truth's competition with the heirs of the day. 
Because that's what we're reading here in this whole epistle, is that you have truth and you have error. And error is working very hard. And so is the truth. But we're part of that. We're part of that. And so uh, this commandment being followed is very needful to this, you could say, conflict between truth and error. Now, you see here where it says, ye have heard, all right, um, that which ye have heard, that which we've had from the beginning. It's an imperfect tense here. So that which we've had from the beginning is imperfect tense, focusing not only on the past action, but also the ongoing past action of this um, having this command. So it was a commandment that this lady and her children had heard many times already, since it was a commandment that was foundational and continual in the Christian faith. So what can we say? There was no shortage of this commandment being said or floating around amongst Christians. It was something that was regular, ongoing, ever since the beginning of this time. And so it was a commandment that had been said and given since the beginning, you could say, of this gospel dispensation, or you could say since the beginning of the New Testament era, or maybe better said, since the beginning of the Lord's ministry, where we do see the Lord speaking this commandment several times. If we want to see a couple passages, obviously we go to the Gospel of John. In John 13, 34 and 35, we see one instance where this is spoken in the beginning of this dispensation time. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. There you go. Jesus speaking this commandment. And here he's saying, it's a new commandment to you guys. Something you guys, I want you guys to implement in your ministry here with one another is this love one to another. Then, then John 15, verses 9 through 17, we see a whole passage here uh, speaking about this. It says here in verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the, of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. 
So there, two, you could say, passages um, in John's gospel where John is emphasizing this commandment. So you could say the apostle here in 2 John is referring back to what was said in those times of the Lord's ministry. So this is something, you could say, it's an old and worn out commandment. Not worn out in the sense that, you know, it's, you know, we don't use it anymore. But in the sense that it has been rehearsed and rehearsed over and over and over. As if it were wearing out and yet never getting old. Always in dire need of its revival. And so here you can say the apostle is reviving this commandment that had been said many times before this. He's bringing it up again as something that's needful in this present discussion. Now, what should spawn such a revival of this commandment from John to this lady and her children? That's the question we're asking here. Why is the apostle bringing this up? It seems like an outlier. It seems like it's just there. It seems like it's just you know imported and it makes no sense and it has no connection to anything else he's saying in the context. But it's actually the opposite. It does connect. It does coincide. It does fit. The performance of the commandment was necessary and crucial to the preservation of the Christian faith, the truth. The righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith as found in the lives of his people. You say, well, doesn't the truth survive even without us? Yes. But God chooses to use us. God chooses to use us in this preservation of the faith that it keeps going on from generation to generation. You're privileged in that, okay? That God has used us to be the keepers of this truth in our time. The perseverance of God's people has always been, in these last days, of utmost importance. And from our perspective, at severe risk, seeing how so many are prone to falling away at a moment's notice. So from our perspective, we could say, it looks like the Christian faith is about to crumble. We're going through world history, and we've been going through the Roman persecutions. And how many gruesome, and how many deaths that were done in the Roman Empire against Christians, and yet, Christianity grew in the midst of all that. It didn't die out, it grew. <laughs> all right, and so, from our perspective, it looks like it's all going to fall apart. It's all going to end tomorrow. <laughs> it's done for. But see, from God's perspective, it's not done for because it's living through us. It's continuing through us. Our saving faith, which perseveres, it's living through us. So as it was so important in John's day, it was important to him. He's mentioning this right now. It's equally important in our day. And maybe more as the days 
of evil wax worse. The doing of this commandment is so much more important in our day, in which our deep evils of theology and immorality prevalent and easily spread like a deadly super-spreading virus. We need no shortage and no famine of this commandment because there is definitely no famine of falsehood in our present world. In fact, it's growing like a mold in your refrigerator, okay? It's just growing and growing and growing. And so one needs to grow with us is this commandment. These two commandments, you could say, this commandment and then the one in verse 8. This needs to grow as much as the falsehood in our day is growing. The more there is the vegetation of falsehood, the more we need the vegetation of this commandment. The more there is the super spreading virus of falsehood in our world, the more we need the antivirus. Make more of it, we could say, and fight it. And if we fail in this one important commandment, then we, then we bring failure to the truth. Now, of course, the truth will go on despite people failing. It will still go on. But you don't want to be part of that sliver of failure. Okay, so we don't want to be part of that because we're in a conflict with error. And there's a conflict upon truth. And when we fail in this commandment, we do the truth no good. In one sense, yes, the truth does not rest upon our continuation or our spiritual success, but rather God is the keeper of his truth. But in another sense, the truth does rest upon our shoulders and hinges upon our obedience to this commandment as well as to other commandments. Now I want you to consider uh, 1 Corinthians 4.1. You say, well, it doesn't matter you know, whether we succeed or don't. You know, just it is what it is. Okay? 1 Corinthians 4.1 says here, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards. That talks about responsibility that is given to us. The line of truth continues through us. The voice of truth shouts through us. And the strength of truth stands through us. The basic point is that we bear a great load of truth upon our backs. And we are beckoned to carry it to the end. Now, it's not a burdensome thing. It should not be. It shouldn't be grievous for us to bear this load of truth. It's rather a privilege, for that's the idea of a steward. It's a privilege. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. It's an honor to uphold the truth and the Christian faith. Okay? You, if you were to interview any Christian martyr back in the past, they would say, I was honored to die for the truth. It's an honor. 
but it's also a heart-pounding responsibility. For we do not want to fail our Lord and the business he left us with. Therefore, we are besought to gather careful attention to the truth that lies upon our laps and see that we do no harm against it. We have a great task upon us, and though we are enlarged by it, we ought to submit ourselves in humility, knowing that we need great divine help in this task, lest we falter, lest we fail, and lest we fall in one small moment. And we must greatly understand the competition out there is very, very aggressive. We see this. And it seems like we're greatly outnumbered. You feel that, parents? Okay. Sometimes you feel you're greatly outnumbered, like you, you're trying to uh, bonk hedgehogs and bonk, bonk uh, groundhogs and things, trying to keep them in the hole, just pop up another hole. It's like it's nonstop. Our world is very aggressive in pushing its agenda. And so we've got competition which means we got to be on our game, right? The commandment is nothing foreign to the Apostle John, and it's nothing foreign to the pages of the New Testament. And the commandment is here in verse 5 at the end, that we love one another. That we love one another. Of all the commandments you, you could think of when it comes to keeping the truth safe and secure and settled, would it be this one first on your mind? I don't know, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> like, oh no. You know, to keep the truth, this is the first commandment to really think about to keep the truth. No, we often think of commandments like this. We, we probably think of fight the good fight of faith. That's going to do it. Fight the good fight of faith. Or maybe stand fast in the strength of the Lord, right? Or be strong and quit ye like men. Those are the commandments we think of, right? Okay. But here John is saying, no, this is the commandment you need to be thinking about. This is crucial to the survival of the truth. Through you guys. None of these that I just spoke of, fight, stand fast, be strong, none of these is the commandment for this enormous task. It is that we love one another. You see, this task to uphold the truth, it's not a solo mission. It's not. It's not the mission of a mercenary called upon. It's not the duty of a masked vigilante fighting crime at night. It's the task for a band of brothers. We're brothers and sisters. And we have to band together. This is the job of the brotherhood and sisterhood of believers. This is a task for a body of believers. We are a body of believers here in El Sobrante, California. And we are tasked with upholding the truth in the San Francisco Bay Area. Huge task, right? Look at us. We're greatly outnumbered. But we have a God. 
Okay? That's good. The task of the truth does not fall upon the shoulders of one man. Aren't you thankful for that? <laughs> we bear this together as one and as a brotherhood. And such closeness and togetherness of God's people will be the strength that encases and protects the health of the truth. Now, here it says in verse 5 that we love one another. If you were to look at it in its Greek formation, it would look like a purpose clause, but it's not functioning in that way. Okay, it's something uh, that is a commandment, that this is the substance of the commandment. This is the substance of John's beseeching. What is he beseeching? What is he wanting? What is he begging from them? That we love one another. Therefore, in practice, you could say this is a well-sown commitment among believers. The conflict between truth and error rages on, and we need each other in the midst of it. Some things to think about. Why should any Christian need to go solo? I mean, that did happen to Paul. Remember that? And none stood with him besides Luke. But you know he had the Lord standing with him. So it does happen at times. Why, why, but why, why should any Christian need to fly solo in this task? Don't let your brother go solo in the fight. Join him. Fight alongside him with him. Fight for him. Give him some cover fire. If you want to go with modern warfare. The storm of this war gets super intense. It really does. And we need everyone together. It's not like you can just you know, sit on the sidelines and say, hmm, if that were me, I would do something else. Well, that's good for you. Why don't you join in? Okay, all right? All right, don't be on the sidelines. Let's fight together. Let's march together. Let's walk the line of faith and doing our part in the formation. You know, get in the formation and let's do each of our part. A second thing about this, you are not alone. Others are with you in the task of keeping the truth. Elijah felt that. He got depressed. He thought, I'm all alone. And the Lord had to correct him. No, you're not alone. There are thousands who are, have not bowed the knee to Baal. So you're not alone, Elijah. Okay? Others are with you in the task of keeping the truth. You can't do it alone either. You can't. You say, no, I can, because it's me. No, you can't. <laughs> I'm a spiritual warrior. No, not as much as you think you are. None of us are spiritual warriors as we think we are. We actually need each other. You need the functions of other believers to help you. Then others need your strength and skill to assist them. This is where love for the brethren kicks in. You with others come to the, to the assistance and aid of other brothers and sisters handling the task of keeping the truth. In this way, this commandment to love one another is the foundation and the strength of the truth in our time. My mind was just thinking about um, work days in the past where Peter and Daryl would come to the building here and they would stuff tracks. See, they're blind. They can't do anything. Sure they can. 
They're stuffing tracts so you can pass them out. Okay? It's the love of the brotherhood. We're in this together. It's not like we have just people on loose ends just doing, you know, little pieces here and there, just fighting, you know, different warfares. No, we're all together. Doesn't the scripture say the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? Doesn't say one man. It says the church. What is the church? It's a body of believers. A brotherhood of Christians knitted together, formed as one body unified around the truth. That's what we are here. We're a, we are a local body in this area of the Bay Area, and we are knitted together. We're supposed to be rallied together to hold the true, the truth, hold the banner of the cross in these intense days of apostasy. What else can, do we know here? Look well to the spiritual benefit of your brother. Let not your brother be drawn away by simple whispers of the world. Let not the lies of the satanic world envelope one of the brethren. You say, shoo away the evil. Scare away. Warn him of the evil. Rescue him of such lies. Isn't that what John is doing here? He's warning them of the evil that is out there. He's saying, watch out for it. Don't even let it inside your house. He's doing exactly what he's preaching here. So take your brother by the hand and lead him along the path of truth. We call this brotherly love. Where we're looking out, we're looking out for each other. Not in a judgmental way, but in a way of we are concerned. We really want to help. We don't want danger and harm to come to, one, to each other. Okay? Also, we need to think, what would we do without one another? And one another's love. What would we do without it? Now, indeed, we have God. And he can be our portion in times we stand or feel alone. But overall, how many times has it been that we have been dependent upon the love of our brothers to keep us going strong in the path of truth? How many times can you look in your past and you say, such and such person was a strength to me in that time when I was low? And I needed that. I needed that. How many times we can say that we have been encouraged by the strength of others? How many times can we say that if it weren't for the love of our brothers and sisters, we would be in dire straits and that we would have wandered off a little from the path? So what would we do without each other? Just honestly speaking. And so we need this commandment to be functioning among us loving one another, to watch out for one another because we live in evil, wicked days full of doctrinal error and moral error. We really need to love one another. And so this command was the substance and essence of the apostles' beseeching. He was begging the lady and her children to hold true to this one important command. Now we do not know where John's location was at this point, 
nor do we know the, the location of this lady and her children. We don't know. But we do know that this commandment to love one another was a universal commandment among the Christian realm. It was to be followed everywhere by every Christian in every church. There was no partial application of this command as if it applied to some and didn't apply to others. No, it applies to everybody. Everybody. We all need this command. We all need the acceptance of other people's love. We all need to dish out love to others. What we see here, uh, speaking from, you could say, a spiritual leader uh, to uh, someone he's leading, the stewardship of the truth was weighing heavy upon the apostle. You could see that. All right? I mean, he's begging them. He's begging them. And he's, even as you read on in verse 8 and verse 9 and 10 and 11, you see that it's really weighing heavy upon him. And he saw the answer to this heaviness to be the ongoing commitment of this commandment in the case of this lady and her children. It was something direly important in the confines of, her, of even her own household. And we'll see that later as we go on that we see specific application of this love within our own household. And we'll see that later as we go on, but we, we see that there's great concern here from the apostle. The apostle saw the perseverance of the truth in jeopardy in many cases all around him. Did he envision it with this lady and her children? Even though he had earlier given such a wonderful praise about their walking in the truth? You know, was he envisioning this lady and her children you know, walking away from the truth, giving up everything, turning away from the truth? I mean, maybe not likely. But John the Apostle, he didn't know everything, though. Just as any spiritual leader today doesn't know everything, we don't know everything. Let's say it this way. A spiritual leader often has dark visions of anyone and everyone around him wandering from the truth. You know, it's a limited foresight that we have. And the spiritual leader uh, cannot help, and he cannot help to have that, and he can't help but have these ideas that float into his brain, say, well, he shouldn't, okay? Well... Well, we don't want those thoughts. We really don't. Now, it's not that the spiritual leader is paranoid of everyone around him walking away from the truth, but he can't fully see the truth about everyone. He really can't. So in one way, everyone's a suspect. Of course, not to be melancholy and pessimistic, but in some sense, it's like everyone's a suspect, okay? When he finds so many cases of people turning away from the truth and seeing so many disappointing situations, perhaps then you can understand a little where he's coming from. So it's no strange thing to see a spiritual leader adamantly begging those whom he leads to follow the ways 
that make for the perseverance of the truth. In John's case, in his divinely inspired solution, it was to love one another. This is the key to the continuation of the truth among believers. And we will do well to learn from it even more. Now you see a progression here in verses 5 and 6, and I'll just end with this, but you do see a progression here. In verse 5, you see this commandment. Well, what is that commandment? Is that we love one another. It's love. Love that is reciprocal. Well, what is that love? Verse 6, this is love. What is it? That we walk after his commandments. That is love. That is loving one another. When you walk after God's commandments. Well, what does that look like? Walking after his commandments. Goes on to verse 6. This is the commandment. That as ye have heard from the beginning, that ye, ye should walk in it. What's the it? Love. Love for one another. That ye should walk in love for one another. So the commandment is to love one another. It's kind of like a, a circle here. The commandment is to love one another. What is loving one another? Following after God's commandments. What is one of those commandments? Love one another. And so this is paramount. And as you go through the text here, as we go, keep going through Second uh, John here, you see how important this is. That we need to love one another and be caring about each other's spiritual benefit. Watching out for each other. Okay, watching for, out for each other. Not allowing things to spoil one another, corrupt one another, sway one another, make people wander, or whatever. A lot of things out there in our world. A lot of competition we're up against. But the truth always prevails. But it's going to prevail through us if we love one another. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be glorified. We thank you so much for this truth. I pray that you would strengthen us, be faithful in this command, that we would be knitted together as a church, and that our love would abound and would grow and would increase, and that, Father, we would have um, insight uh, to one another's spiritual benefit, and that through that we would help one another to persevere in the truth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.